0: Hello, this is Lindsay and Paul sitting aboard our sailboat in the U.S. Virgin Islands.
1: Today we're celebrating our first year of living aboard and sailing the Lesser Antilles.
0: This podcast was recorded at...
1: Carrie, I feel like we're doing something wrong.
0: We, we have made poor choices in life, yeah. Mr. Detro. We definitely have.
1: That being said, it's one oh six Eastern on Monday, March 6th.
0: Things may have changed by the time you hear it but we'll still be splashing around the Caribbean Sea.
1: Okay, here's the show. Oh! <laughs> wow. Oh my God. That was coordination. <laughs> hey, there. It's the NPR Politics Podcast. I'm Scott Detrow. I cover the White House.
0: And I'm Carrie Johnson. I cover the Justice Department.
1: And this is really exciting. NPR's Deb Amos is here as well. Hey, Deb. Hey, there. Nice to be here. We are honored to have you on the podcast. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. So Carrie, you are just back from a trip to Ukraine. You were the only journalist traveling with the attorney general, Merrick Garland. Tell us what the trip was about.
0: The attorney general went at the request of the Ukrainian prosecutor general. Uh, Merrick Garland had meetings with Ukrainian President Zelensky, a number of ambassadors and other heads of state and justice ministers. This whole conference that he was attending uh, in far western Ukraine was all about war crimes and accountability for the atrocities Russians have allegedly committed over the last year of this war, this unprovoked aggression.
1: What did the testimony in the meeting focus on in particular?
0: You know, Merrick Garland talked about two things. One, uh, the rule of law and the need to both uh, hold accountable perpetrators of some of these atrocities for bombing uh, maternity hospitals, uh, schools, theaters, civilian apartment buildings and and other things. And also to try to deter people in Russia and on the ground in Ukraine now from committing new war crimes. This was a multi-part message from the AG.
1: Now, Deb, one of the alleged war crimes that has gotten a lot of attention is the alleged kidnapping of Ukrainian children being taken back into Russia. You have been reporting on this. Tell us what's been happening or what's been alleged.
2: Just recently, Yale University, in cooperation with the U.S. State Department, has issued a report on this, and it was done very carefully to the standards of an international court as evidence and what they discovered by using um, satellite imagery by using uh, you know social media posts uh, government statements uh, phone records, is there are somewhere around 6,000 Ukrainian children who've been taken to Russia. There are more than 40 camps across the country, from the Black Sea coast uh, all the way to Siberia. And these children have been held in Russia against the wishes of their parents. And there were a lot of people who saw this high-level meeting in Ukraine, where Kerry was, and said, Maybe this is the first indictment. Maybe this is the first international war crime that, alleged as it is, gets taken to court. That did not happen, but uh, this may be the first case that that is brought. Yeah, you know, listening
0: to um, Kareem Khan, who is the chief prosecutor for the International Criminal Court at this conference, he actually uh, spoke um, with great emotion and depth about uh, visiting a care home in Ukraine that was uh, basically abandoned. There were no children there.
1: But in the silence of that moment, with empty cribs to my right and to my left, with little shoes belonging to children... On shelves and clothes donated by people who wanted these children to have a better future I was struck by the paintings on the wall that we would find in any school in any country of the world or in the bedrooms of our own young children photographs of Christmas past nativity scenes where children were dressing up and trying to look forward to that celebration. And instead of that joyful presence, there is silence. I mean, Deb, these, these are monstrous allegations. I don't think there's any other way to put it. What is specifically going on here? Why why is this being carried out and how is it happening?
2: So there's a couple of ways that it happens. For one thing, Ukraine has the highest rate of child institutionalization in Europe. There's maybe 100,000 kids in orphanages. And uh, as as the war raged, certainly in the East... Um, You know, there's plenty of evidence that says the Russians took those kids out of those institutions and brought them to Russia. The other way it happened is you live in the middle of a war zone. The uh, headmaster says, okay... Uh, Let's have all the kids go to camp in Crimea uh, for two weeks and you as a parent say, well, I don't know. I'm not quite ready. And the headmaster says, you know, your kid's been suffering. It's a war. Maybe you don't have enough food at home. Come on, let them go. And you wake up the next morning and a hundred buses are in front of the school and all these kids are being taken, you know, across a, a front line. And two weeks later, you can talk to your kid who says, Mom, they're going to move me. They're moving me to another camp. And you can't get your kid back. Now, you're, you're ashamed that you were behave so stupidly. So part of the problem there is parents don't want to talk about it. The other way it happens in these filtration camps, they separate parents from kids. And there is plenty of evidence of this. They move the kids in groups to these camps. Uh, We know of 40, there may be as many as 100 across Russia.
1: I mean, Carrie, sometimes, sometimes a legal conference can be like a pretty... Academic and high minded thing but 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 some of the alleged war crimes that we've been talking about and reporting on for the last year are so personal and and so upsetting to even think about and hear about. I have to imagine there was a lot of emotion at this gathering of, of justice officials
0: there was a lot of emotion Scott. One thing that struck me was Ukrainian President Zelensky asking for a moment of silence for all the victims, for all the people who have died in this unprovoked aggression. And another thing that struck me was the U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland really breaking with emotion, talking about his own family's experience. His grandmother made it to the U.S. before the Nazis uh, marched across Europe in World War II, but two of her siblings never did. And Garland told me, the family is still not sure what happened to them.
2: We know uh, that they were killed in the Holocaust. My father was named for for one of them. But we don't know really exactly what happened to them. And it's important uh, for families and descendants to know what happened um, when there's been a period of atrocities.
0: And, and the attorney general basically said... Uh, he feels for people in Ukraine who don't know what happened to their loved ones, and he respects very much the bravery and courage of these investigators from Ukraine and other countries who are on the ground exhuming mass graves and digging through rubble for evidence and clues as to war crimes.
1: Yeah. Well, a lot of questions for both of you about what happens next and, and how much accountability can, can realistically be expected. We're going to take a quick break. We will come back and talk about that. All right. We are back. And we heard a bit from it already, Carrie. But, but as part of this reporting trip, you had an exclusive interview with Garland on the airplane. What else stood out to you from that conversation?
0: You know, the attorney general said there are a couple of ways in which the U.S. is involved here. One is supporting uh, Ukrainian war crimes investigators on the ground, uh, offering all kinds of advice about environmental crimes and helping them to build a database to gather and keep track of all this evidence. And another was the idea that the U.S does have legal authority not only over war criminals here in the U.S., but also over people, uh, Russian people, who might kill American citizens in Ukraine. And the AG made a little bit of news. He said that U.S. and Ukrainian prosecutors have already zeroed in on some specific war crimes committed by Russian forces. And they're working to identify the people involved. And with respect to Russians who may have killed Americans on the ground in Ukraine, uh, the AG says they've already identified several suspects. He wouldn't tell me how many or how far along
1: those cases might be. Deb, I have a lot of questions about how this all works. I guess, first of all, what is the institution where where these crimes would be charged and where these, these trials may or may not happen?
2: There's a couple of choices, and each one of them have a tricky bit of, of jurisdiction about them. You can go to the International Criminal Court, but there's restrictions on can you charge the crime of aggression, which is called the leadership crime, And that is you go all the way up to the top of the leadership, but you can't set up that charge in the International Criminal Court. The only place you can do that is in an independent international tribunal. Impossible now to get to the U.N. Security Council because Russia and China have vetoes. You'd have to ask for a vote in the U.N. General Assembly. Here's where the problem is there. A lot of the Global South don't think this is their problem. Yeah. In fact, if you look at the, I think the G20, only about half of those countries are keeping um, sanctions against Russia. The rest, they don't think that this is a war that's their business. Why do we want to get between uh, the Americans, the Russians, and the Chinese? So could they get that vote? That is not clear.
1: Kerry, this, was this a topic of conversation? And, and, and how are leaders like Garland thinking about this?
0: Yeah. So the U.S. Congress gave the Justice Department authority to uh, prosecute anybody who's on U.S. soil for for these kinds of war crimes. That's new. And uh, strangely enough, some people, even some people who have committed some very bad acts, decide to go on vacation on U.S. soil or U.S. territory. And if that were to happen in the decades to come, those people uh, might wind up in an American courtroom, the attorney general says. He also said it's quite clear that there are real efforts underway, both in the U.S. and Ukraine and with international counterparts, to try to go up the ladder of responsibility.
1: Those
2: are not uh, just individual one-offs. It's quite clear, um, when taking a look at what happened in Bukha and Maritopol, uh, the, these are planned uh, killings of civilians in significant numbers that the uh, effort to uh, forcibly deport children, Ukrainian children, from occupied areas into uh, Russia are pre-planned, and the Ukrainians and our prosecutors uh, and the uh, uh, members of the uh, JIT, the Joint Investigative Team, are all trying to identify, uh, to build evidence against the people who are directing this. And that is certainly the case if there, when, let's say there is a case, on the Ukrainian children who've been moved to Russia. The Yale study, which was out a couple of weeks ago, does a chain of command. In fact, last week, the Treasury Department sanctioned four Russian governors who were named in the Yale report as being instrumental in holding back kids, not letting Ukrainian kids go go home. There are eight others that were named. Uh, in that study, it's also possible that they too will be sanctioned and the cases that will be built will certainly be focused on the chain of command as much as it is those, those camps and the local people who did care for those kids.
0: The other name that really came up in my conversation with the attorney general was this name, Progozin. He's one of the oligarchs uh, who used to be uh, known as Putin's chef, right? And his company, one of his uh, connected companies, got in trouble in the Robert Mueller special counsel investigation, although uh, charges were never fully pursued in that case for trying to manipulate the American election. Well, Progozin, as as Deb knows all too well, is the guy in charge of the Wagner Group, this set of mercilessers mercenaries that's on the ground in Ukraine. Mm -hmm. And uh, Garland basically said that guy is a really bad actor. In Senate testimony last week, he called him a war criminal, which is a lot farther than maybe some of Merrick Garland's aides wanted him to go. Uh, But he's certainly on the radar of U.S. and Ukrainian authorities, too. All
1: right. That is it for this episode. Deb, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. And Carrie, thanks for your great reporting and for for going halfway around the world and back for this story.
0: Oh, my great pleasure.
1: All right. I'm Scott Detrow. I cover the White House.
0: I'm Carrie Johnson, national justice correspondent.
1: Thank you for listening to the NPR Politics Podcast. Hey, before we go, something fun to tell you about. We are running a giveaway right here on this podcast. It is free to enter. And if you are our winner, you will get a free merch pack from the NPR shop, And you will get to record your own timestamp to start an episode of a show, and you're saying, what? That's great, but that is not all, friends. You will also get one year of the NPR Politics Podcast Plus completely free. What does that mean? Well, let me tell you. Plus, listeners get bonus episodes where we take you behind the scenes of the show and of our political reporting. Sometimes we do episodes like our recent one with Ron Elving talking about the history of the State of the Union. And in addition to those bonus episodes every other week, you also get to hear each regular episode of the show without sponsor messages. So, again, merch, check. Timestamp, check. One year of NPR Politics Podcast Plus, check. To enter, you go to the link on our episode notes, which is npr.org slash politics plus giveaway. All one word. Plus is spelled out, not a plus sign. npr.org slash politics plus giveaway. And now I get to do the really official uh, contest thing. No purchase necessary. Open to legal residence in the U.S. only, 18 years and older. Entered before March 31st, 2023. Prize valued at $130. Official rules can be found on the entry page at npr.org politics plus giveaway.